Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I would say happy Tuesday, but I'm not happy at all. And probably a lot of you are just as unhappy as I am. I wanted to start this show by reading a statement from two of Donald Trump's attorneys, Drew Findling and Jennifer Little. They say, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office has once again shown that they have no respect for the integrity of the grand jury process. This was not a simple administrative mistake. A proposed indictment should only be in the hands of the District Attorney's Office, yet it somehow made its way to the clerk's office and was assigned a case number and a judge before the grand jury even deliberated. This is emblematic of the pervasive and glaring constitutional violations which have plagued this case from its very inception. Justice and the rule of law are officially dead in America. This is a left-wing prosecutor with such extreme anti-Trump bias that even CNN questioned her legitimacy. And she went ahead and indicted the president despite his having committed no crime, which marks the fourth act of election interference on behalf of the Democrats in an attempt to keep the White House under Joe Biden's control and to jail his single greatest opponent of the 2024 election. Let me remind you that just days before Donald Trump announced his 2024 presidential campaign, Joe Biden declared on national TV that serious efforts would be taken to stop Donald Trump from being able to take power again. And now we're watching those efforts unfold as Joe Biden's henchmen followed their boss's orders by targeting him in baseless witch hunts in an attempt to actually jail Donald Trump for life as an innocent man. This left-wing prosecutor who orchestrated the latest witch hunt was caught intermixing her political fortunes with this case. Her bias was so terrible that she had to be removed from one part of the case because of a political conflict of interest of her own creation. But it's not just the prosecutor. The foreperson of the grand jury broke a veil of secrecy by going on a media tour with the fake news, giggling on TV about the idea of serving Donald Trump with a subpoena and unjustly robbing him of his liberty. She said it would be awesome to have the power to swear him in and teased about the indictments as if she were talking about a movie trailer. Even the fake news called her media circus show a horrible idea and a prosecutor's nightmare. Our once free republic where citizens were presumed innocent until proven guilty, is gone. In its place is a third-world dictatorship led by an incompetent yet crooked tyrant who tries to place your fate in the hands of vengeful and corrupt prosecutors. 
communism has actually finally reached our shores. But while these are certainly very dark times for our country, Donald Trump says he will never give up on America. The more he sees these rogue prosecutors weaponize the legal system to criminalize dissent and imprison their political opponents, the stronger his resolve gets. And he is committed to saving the country. Because if these illegal prosecutions succeed, if they're allowed to set fire to the law, then it will not end with Donald Trump. They'll be coming for you and me. This is the greatest nation in history. And we can never surrender our country to radical tyrants who seek to destroy it. Even after four sham indictments and the threat of hundreds of years in prison, he doesn't back down. He won't abandon the mission because he knows the fate of our nation hangs in the balance in the 2024 election. It's not just his freedom on the line, but it's yours. And he won't let them take it away from you. I don't know about you, but the stakes of this election just seem to be getting greater and greater. And like Elon Musk, I'm becoming more and more MAGA every day. Let me tell you about some of the finer points of this latest indictment that appear to go a long way to make even being alive seem criminal to support a conspiracy allegation. Tweeting, getting a phone number, and even telling people to watch TV were among the actions detailed to pad the first count against Trump and his 18 co-defendants with 161 acts. One social media thread on Monday's indictment from Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis couldn't help but notice the heavy lifting legalese looked to be doing in labeling things, quote, an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy, end quote. A thread on X from Greg Price highlighted quite a few things, how illegal, now illegal, based on the alleged criminal racketeering enterprise the president had taken part in to supposedly overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Asking people for phone numbers, reserving rooms in a Capitol building, telling people to watch TV, and getting people to attend legislative hearings summarized one set of acts that included on or about the third day of December 2020, Donald John Trump caused to be tweeted from the Twitter account at Real Donald Trump, Georgia hearings now on OANN. Amazing. This was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. So things that are now illegal, according to the Georgia indictment, asking people for phone numbers, reserving rooms in a Capitol building, telling people to watch TV, getting people to attend legislative hearings, it's unbelievable. Greg Price points out that holding meetings as seemingly now illegal as the indictment pointed to a meeting that Trump was said to have had in December of 2020 with Speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives Brian Cutler in the Oval Office at the White House and discussed holding a special session of the Pennsylvania General Assembly. More things that are now illegal, according to the indictment, holding meetings, calling people, asking people to call special sessions of legislatures, setting up phone calls. Libs of TikTok piled on to the indictment, reiterating the point on OANN tweet, adding to things that are apparently illegal in America, reserving rooms for meetings, asking someone for a phone number. What a sham. 
Well, while many attempted to slam the threads as missing the finer point that it wasn't any act itself that was illegal, but doing so allegedly in furtherance of the conspiracy, what detractors hadn't grasped was the broader implications of the indictment. As previously reported, two speakers from the nonprofit Dissident Project joined Fox and Friends weekend on Sunday to discuss their experiences having fled authoritarian regimes in Venezuela and Iran. In so doing, they pointed out how the indictments against Trump appeared to be setting a dangerous precedent and furthered a two-tiered justice system. Tamina Desbozorgi, who emigrated from Iran and is now a student at George Washington University Law School, told Rachel Campos Duffy, in Iran, a lot of attorneys that represent political opponents are also prosecuted. And in this case, one thing that really concerns me as a law student is I do not want to see attorneys that simply gave legal advice to their clients, face criminal charges, or being threatened to have their licenses revoked. Attorney Jenna Ellis, named as a co-defendant in the indictment, posted along those lines Tuesday when she wrote, the Democrats and the Fulton County DA are criminalizing the practice of law. I am resolved to trust the Lord and I will simply continue to honor, praise, and serve him. I deeply appreciate all my friends who have reached out, offering encouragement and support. The perceived effort to persecute Trump, as one person on X mocked, made the priorities of Willis look wholly out of whack. Well, this is where we are. And this is the insanity of the Georgia indictment against Donald Trump. It's like the bizarre legal martyrdom of Donald Trump entered a whole new phase Monday night. The new indictment of Trump, along with 18 other defendants in Fulton County, Georgia, overreaches absurdly, both on legal theory and the facts it offers to back the charges. It tries to criminalize speech, including public statements. It pretends a random array of events, many of which did not even involve Georgia, make a criminal conspiracy. Among the overt acts it includes is a text message from Trump's chief of staff asking for the phone numbers of two Pennsylvania legislators. Yep, that's the entire act. No, I'm not making this up. I wish I were. The indictment is a stunning abuse of prosecutorial discretion made worse because federal prosecutors brought an indictment covering similar ground just two weeks ago. Yet if the indictment is a joke, its stakes could not be higher. It risks throwing the 2024 election into chaos and inciting political and societal disorder even more than Trump's other indictments. The Fulton County indictment of Trump is astonishing in its breadth. It covers 41 charges and 19 separate defendants including Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff. Oh my, what a big conspiracy you have. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, but I have so much more to dissect with you and so much that you may not be aware of because if you're just listening to the mainstream media, you're not getting the whole story, but I'm going to give you the whole story. Stay right where you are. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, 
Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So let's get into the nitty gritty of this, right? Count one of 41 counts. The grand jurors aforesaid, in the name and behalf of the citizens of Georgia, do hereby charge and accuse Donald John Trump, Rudolph William Louis Giuliani, John Charles Eastman, Mark Randall Meadows, Kenneth John Cheesebro, Jeffrey Bossert Clark, Jenna Lynn Ellis, Ray Stalling Smith III, Robert David Cheely, Michael A. Bauman, David James Schaefer, Sean Micah Tresher Still, Stephen Cliffgard Lee, Harrison William Prescott Floyd, Trevian C. Cooty, Sidney Catherine Powell, Kathleen Austin Latham, Scott Graham Hall, and Misty Hampton. I read those because you should know all the people that they went after and how they accused them of a violation of the Georgia RICO, that's the Racketeers Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, for the said accused individually and as persons concerned in the commission of a crime and together with unindicted co-conspirators, we still don't know who those are, in the state of Georgia and county of Fulton on and between the fourth day of November 2020 and the 15th day of September 2022, while associated with an enterprise unlawfully conspired and endeavored to conduct and participate in, directly and indirectly, such enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity in violation of OCGA 16144B, as described below and incorporated by references as if fully set forth herein, contrary to the laws of said state, the good and order and peace and dignity thereof. Let me tell you something. At the core of the prosecution are RICO charges against all 19 defendants. The fact that Fannie T. Willis, the DA, is using RICO is no surprise as no law can be abused by prosecutors more easily, except maybe civil forfeiture statutes. Congress passed the first RICO statute in October of 1970. Originally aimed at the mafia, RICO lets prosecutors attack criminal organizations whose leaders profit without directing foot soldiers to commit specific crimes. Just to make sure he pays, huh? RICO lets prosecutors hold the defendants in a criminal enterprise liable for each other's crimes, even if different conspirators committed them at different times. Members do not even have to meet each other. Essentially, the statute criminalizes guilt by association. 33 states, including Georgia, have now passed similar laws. But both the original federal statute and the state laws that followed did not require violence as an element of the conspiracies. Thus, prosecutors quickly began to use RICO laws to target not just the mafia, but corporate crime too. What makes this so fascinating is one of the most successful uses of RICO laws was by one of the defendants, Rudy Giuliani, who brought down mobsters galore in New York with RICO statutes. White-collar defendants complained that they were facing long sentences for nonviolent behavior that in some cases had previously faced only civil sanction. As the Los Angeles Times wrote in 1989, 
an increasing number of legal scholars, some of them former prosecutors, contend that the law is so vaguely worded that almost any federal offense involving more than one violation of the law can be cast as a racketeering case. The debate just rages, but Congress and state legislators were and have remained unsympathetic to complaints about RICO. And recently, aggressive prosecutors have expanded the statute's use even further. In a 2021 article about RICO's growing use, the Wall Street Journal said federal prosecutors have become more enamored with the RICO law's ability to expand the story, said James Trustee the former chief of the U.S. Justice Department's Organized Crime and Gang Division in D.C. Mr. Trustee said the statute effectively broadens what is considered criminal behavior under federal law and what is admissible in court. Perhaps no prosecutor is more enamored with RICO's powers than Fulton County's Fannie Willis. In 2015, Willis used RICO to prosecute Atlanta teachers who had inflated children's test scores. Eleven teachers were ultimately found guilty. Now Willis has set her sights on Donald Trump for his decision to contest the 2020 election and the people around him who encouraged him and offered him strategies to do so. As I've said many times before, and as I know many of you do not like hearing, Trump may have lost in 2020 on both a popular vote and an electoral vote basis. His decision not to accept the results of the election quickly was probably not great for our democracy. And of course, his unwillingness to condemn the violence at the Capitol quickly and encourage a peaceful transfer of power on January 6th is going to be his stain no matter what. But Trump's complaints about the election were legal. They were protected speech. Even Jack Smith's federal indictment makes that clear. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim, falsely, if it's so, that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits challenging ballots and procedures. The Georgia indictment takes no account of the First Amendment rights of Trump or anyone else. In fact, it goes the other way. It enumerates 161 acts making up the alleged conspiracy. The first is Trump's speech on November 4, 2020, falsely declaring victory in the 2020 presidential election. Yep, Willis is trying to criminalize the act of a political candidate claiming to have won an election. The rest of the indictment is just as bad. Many of the overt acts that Willis alleges were part of the conspiracy consist of efforts that the defendants made in Wisconsin and other states and have no plausible connection to Georgia. Then there's Act 6, the moment when Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, asks a Republican congressman to pass along the phone numbers of two members of the Pennsylvania legislature. That's it. That's the entire overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. Hey, just give me the phone number and nobody gets hurt. So yes, Willis is stretching an already problematic legal theory to its limits. 
For his entire career, Donald Trump has dodged legal trouble. This indictment may seem like yet another trap that he's going to escape. But here's the thing. He may, he may not. Willis won in the cheating case. She convinced jurors to view changing students' answers on tests as a criminal conspiracy, and she will have a very favorable jury pool to try Trump. Fulton County consists of the city of Atlanta and some of its suburbs and voted 73% to 26% for Biden in 2020. Further, Willis has said she wants to try the case in six months as the Republican primaries are beginning. By itself, that's going to hamper Trump from campaigning, though he's so far ahead of Ron DeSantis and other challengers for the Republican nomination, his absence may not even matter. But if she wins, if she convicts Trump, he will go to prison. In Georgia, RICO charges carry minimum sentences of five years. And as commentators from both parties have pointed out, even Georgia's Republican governor will not be able to pardon him. Only the state parole board can do so, and not until after his sentence is complete. The Constitution doesn't bar Trump from being elected president, but obviously, as a prisoner, Trump would face huge obstacles campaigning for president next summer and fall. He depends on his live rallies to rile and rally supporters and his ability to use the Internet to win publicity for himself. He will lack both those weapons. This dynamic will be obvious from the moment Trump is imprisoned should he be convicted. Both the fact of his imprisonment for criticizing of the 2020 election results and his inability to campaign will infuriate his core supporters. If he does win the presidency, I have no idea what will happen, but presumably Georgia will face pressure to change its parole laws to allow him live in the White House as president. Trump is about as far as anyone can imagine from a sympathetic character. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I just got to keep parsing what happened because it's so mind-boggling to me. I mean, a former president of the United States, Donald Trump, and 18 co-defendants indicted by a grand jury in, of all places, Fulton County, Georgia, by a prosecutor who ran a campaign based on how she was going to do this, by hook or by crook. And it looks like she did it by crook. So in relation to the president's efforts to dispute the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia. Now think about this. It's a 98-page indictment. I looked at the whole thing, and it charges President Trump with 13 counts, including violation of the state's racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations, that's the RICO Act, solicitation a violation of oath by a public officer, conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree, and conspiracy to commit filing of false documents. Alongside of the former president, 18 others were indicted. I called their name out earlier in the show because you should know who it is she went after. His White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, his former attorneys, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, and Sidney Powell, each of the 19 defendants faced a number of charges, but were all charged on the RICO Act. A total of 41 charges were filed in the case. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. 
This is Fannie Willis's idea of a good deal. And she said that at a press conference late on Monday. She alleged that the goal of the 19 defendants was to allow President Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 2021. The DA said she intends to try all 19 defendants together. While the grand jury issued arrest warrants for the defendants, Miss Willis said she's allowing the defendants to voluntarily surrender by no later than noon on Friday, this Friday. President Trump, of course, in a video that he put out on his campaign website not long after the unsealing of the indictment, said, justice and the rule of law are officially dead in America. And he's right. This was the fourth act of election interference by Joe Biden and the Democrats, who are absolutely destroying our country. President Trump's campaign also released a lengthy statement, which I read on the show yesterday, alleging that the latest criminal charges are a politically motivated attack launched by Ms. Willis. The statement labels her as a Democrat activist who supported a Democrat challenger to a Republican whose conduct she was investigating in connection with the 2020 election probe. A judge later ruled that that was a conflict of interest. Ms. Willis, the campaign said, bragged to left-wing media outlets about her efforts to take down Trump and raised a vast majority of her campaign funds by promoting her election investigation on social media. The DA's investigation was compromised by unethical conduct and political bias. There's no question about that. The indictment alleges that the defendants joined a conspiracy to unlawfully change the outcome of the election in favor of Trump. According to the indictment, the alleged conspiracy to challenge the 2020 election results extended beyond Georgia into other states, including Arizona, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Georgia's prosecutors argue that the post-election challenges amounted to a criminal organization that committed crimes, including false statements, impersonating a public officer, forgery, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, perjury, and influencing witnesses. The indictment alleges that the false statement occurred during three hearings before members of the Georgia General Assembly to persuade Georgia legislators to reject lawful electoral votes. The indictment also alleges that the defendants recruited individuals to cast false electoral votes at the Georgia State Capitol. According to the indictment, President Trump had sought the DOJ to say that the election was corrupt. When President Trump called on the Speaker of the Georgia House of Representatives to call a special session, the indictment alleges he engaged in the solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer. And when Mr. Meadows traveled to Georgia to observe the signature match audit being performed, it was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy, according to the indictment, because the audit process was not open to the public. Other statements by President Trump to Georgia officials, such as that 250,000 to 300,000 ballots were dropped mysteriously into the rolls in the election, 
that 904 people who voted were registered at one post office box address and that 5,000 dead people voted amounted to racketeering activity and an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy, this according to the Georgia prosecutors. In total, the indictment lists 161 such acts that were allegedly taken to advance the conspiracy. The indictment also includes multiple unindicted co-conspirators, suggesting more charges may follow. Besides President Trump and Mr. Meadows and Mr. Giuliani and Ms. Ellis and Ms. Powell, the indictment charged a bunch of attorneys, even a former DOJ attorney, Jeffrey Clark, a GOP strategist, Georgia's alternate electors, and the former head of the Georgia Republican Party. Illinois pastor Stephen Lee, Harrison Floyd, who's the vice president for the Black Conservative Federation, who is also involved in Black Voices for Trump, Trevion Kuti, former publicist for Kanye West, Scott Hall, a Georgia bail bondsman, and Fulton County Republican poll watcher, and Misty Hampton, also known as Misty Emily Hayes, former Coffee County election supervisor. The 13 counts against President Trump correspond precisely with the charges listed in a document that Reuters News Service reported earlier on Monday. The outlet reported that a document listing those charges was briefly posted on the Georgia Court's website on Monday, August 14th. However, later in the day, the Fulton County Superior Court Clerk's Office described what it called a fictitious document that has been circulated online without clarifying whether it was the document listing criminal charges against Trump. The Epic Times looked for clarification from the court spokesperson but received no response. Are you surprised? Because I'm not. In the weeks and months leading to this four indictments, the former president has railed against the investigations and the resulting charges. He's denounced the accusations as an unethical and possibly illegal election interference attempt to bolster his Democratic opponent, President Joe Biden, in his bid to retain the presidency. President Trump contends that President Biden's DOJ and other Democrat foes, including Ms. Willis, have timed the charges to wound his candidacy in the thick of his campaign, accusations they deny. But despite this, the former president has enjoyed a boost in popularity, and he attributes this to a backlash against prosecutions that he has maintained are politically motivated. The former president and his supporters, of whom I am one, say Democrats have been allowed to get away with similar or worse conduct under what many on the right have called a two-tiered system of justice. The Georgia charges came more than two and a half years after Miss Willis launched an investigation of accusations that President Trump and his allies may have criminally interfered with the state's election results. President Trump has continually disputed the election results in Georgia and other states ever since the election. Concerns about election integrity have dogged the Peach State in the past, particularly in Fulton County. In December 2020, a month after the election, he had asked Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to convene a special legislative session to overturn the election results. 
Governor Kemp rebuffed that request and also said he lacked the authority to order an audit of absentee ballots as the president had requested. Interest in investigating President Trump's dispute over the Georgia election results peaked after reports revealed the contents of a phone call between President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on January 2nd of 2021. During the call, President Trump said, I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. Much debate has swirled around the intent and meaning of President Trump's statements during that call. Mainstream media outlets often characterize the conversation as one in which the president demanded or pressured officials to concoct a revised vote tally to benefit him. Mr. Raffensperger told CBS News that he felt that the president and his team were attempting to intimidate him into taking certain actions. But President Trump's spokesperson suggested that Mr. Raffensperger was getting defensive over the president's criticisms of his work as Georgia's top elections official. During the call, President Trump made specific allegations of problems that he believed warranted further investigation and which would have exceeded the small number of ballots he needed to win the election. The president said he believed that up to 300,000 ballots were dropped mysteriously into the rolls, and he thought that fraudulent signatures may have been placed on the ballots. There were also 4,502 voters who voted but who weren't on the voter registration list, plus 18,325 vacant address voters, the president said. He also alleged that there were almost 5,000 out-of-staters who voted improperly, along with 2,326 votes tied to absentee ballots that were sent to vacant addresses. On January 6, 2021, a stop-the-steal protest of the election results culminated in the breach of the U.S. Capitol, intensifying criticism of President Trump and his insistence that the election was stolen or rigged. Democrats in Congress proceeded to impeach him, attempting to hold him responsible for the violence that broke out. He was acquitted. Later that year, on September 17th of 2021, President Trump sent a letter to Mr. Raffensperger telling him that large-scale voter fraud was still being reported in Georgia. President Trump said he was enclosing a report of 43,000 absentee ballots that were counted in DeKalb County, violating chain of custody rules and making them invalid. I would respectfully request that your department check this and, if true, along with many other claims of voter fraud and voter irregularities, start the process of decertifying the election, or whatever the correct legal remedy is, and announce the true winner, President Trump stated. He maintained that the number of fraudulent or irregular votes was far greater than needed to change the Georgia election result. President Trump said that Mr. Raffensperger and Governor Kemp left people puzzled because of their alleged refusal to acknowledge the now proven facts and fight so hard that the election truth not be told. You and Governor Kemp are doing a tremendous disservice to the great state of Georgia and to our nation, which is systematically being destroyed by an illegitimate president and his administration. The truth must be allowed to come out, President Trump stated and a flurry of court cases and other challenges to the election results in Georgia ensued. I'm going to say more. I got lots more to say and not much more time to say it. So you don't want to touch that dial. I will be right back. And don't forget, following my next segment, my last segment, 
you will get to hear Eric Erickson, and then we'll begin with the evening lineup. And then, of course, tomorrow we'll see Jen and Bill first thing in the morning, Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino, and then I'll be back at 3 o'clock. For now, stay right where you are so I can finish this show. I know I've spent the entire show talking about this, but it's important. And I felt like I had to share with you everything that I learned when I poured over these indictments and I looked at all of the experts out there who I have any faith in whatsoever and what they had to say. And I got to believe that something is fishy in Georgia. Supporters of President Trump know that recounts which failed to exclude ballots that should have been disqualified for various reasons, including the alleged failure to properly track ballots, thus ensuring that they were legitimate, is a problem. Ms. Willis's investigation of President Trump and his allies branched into a whole lot of areas, and there's been plenty of speculation. It's been swirling around many other people who might face indictments too. Although the grand jury process is supposed to be conducted in secret, reports about the Georgia investigation have named witnesses who were called to testify, and those reports began leaking shortly after a special purpose grand jury was convened to investigate back in January of 2022. That grand jury completed its work a year later in January of 2023. And just this past February, that forewoman of that special purpose grand jury, Emily Kors, gave multiple interviews to news outlets. Some of her remarks and her giddy demeanor, which was broadcast on TV, definitely sparked controversy. But some people say Ms. Kors followed a judge's orders to refrain from providing details about the jury's deliberations. She also declined to discuss unpublished details of the panel's report, which officials partly released earlier that month. In April, Ms. Willis wrote a letter stating that she expected to release the findings of the grand jury between July 11th and September 1st. Right on the dot, on July 11th, officials in Georgia swore in a new grand jury to decide whether President Trump or his allies would be indicted. Election leaders in multiple other states have been consulted as well, according to reports. Even as President Trump now faces a pair of indictments over his opposition to the 2020 election results, a lot of people remain skeptical about the outcome, too. Independent citizens groups are continuing to examine voting records in a number of states, including Georgia. Although some court challenges over Georgia's 2020 election were thrown out or dropped, others appear to remain unresolved. So look, the bottom line in all of this is the politics of this just look awful. We live in a country that's not supposed to resemble elections in Brazil or Myanmar. We're supposed to be the gold standard when it comes to elections. We actually send people to other countries to monitor their election results. So when there are questions, and there have been questions before, it's not like this was the first time that a candidate questioned whether or not an election had turned out fairly. Al Gore did it. As a matter of fact, Hillary Clinton did it when she lost to Donald Trump. And the media and the Republican Party, all the wimps in the Republican Party, didn't say boo. 
but go ahead and be Donald Trump and question the results or say some things which could be misconstrued and there's going to be indictments coming your way. I think the obvious solution to all of this is to remove this from the political process until after the election. Now, I know some people would say, well, that in and of itself might be considered election interference, but I'm going to make a prediction, and I have made this prediction before. I stand on the fact that all of this is only strengthening the MAGA forces. People like me, even people like Elon Musk, you're not going to say that we're duped by President Trump. You're not going to say that we have a problem ascertaining what's true and what's false. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk was not a Trump supporter until now. He just decided that he's getting more MAGA every day. And I don't think it's just him. I think it's Dr. Naomi Wolf, who's a tried and true liberal who actually was a Gore consultant during that challenge of an election result, and who now points out that to conduct ourselves the way we're conducting ourselves right now is grotesque and will destroy this country. And I think that's where the Democrats have miscalculated completely. I don't think they realize that a lot of independent voters and even a lot of moderate and conservative Democrats look at all this and they shrug their shoulders and say, if we continue down this road, if we allow one party to challenge another party prior to an election, just to keep the candidate out of the election, we're in big trouble. We're going to look no different than Bolivia. We're going to look no different than Iran. We have now got to come to some conclusion about whether or not we think a two-tiered justice system serves this country and serves democracy. How do you lead the world if you can't figure out how to run your own elections? You don't. And that's the problem. So we got to make some tough decisions. I'm going to make them in the ballot booth. And even if I'm voting for a guy who's sitting in a Georgia jail, I'm voting for Donald Trump. He is the last hope for this country. And if he loses, well, then I don't know what to tell you. But I suspect that a lot of us will be relocating to places far underground or something similar. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be right back here in front of this microphone, although from San Francisco, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. We need a miracle right about now. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.